Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. Thank you for checking in on the podcast. Today is hump day, which means it's mailbag day. We are answering your questions about Oregon football, about Oregon football recruiting. Who knows what else we've got? We've even got a question about this podcast, Eric, <laughs> uh, about just the the logistics of this podcast. We're always looking for feedback. And I have to admit, uh, it's a lighter show this week because, hey, we've hit, I think we've officially hit off season mode. Like, so we're, we're going into a lighter, a, a, a lighter mailbag for this week. But this question, uh, <laughs> and we're going to save it for last, might yeah. be like the one I'm most interested in talking about because it's kind of like, I'm in this, like, uh, I just, flew to Chicago and back from a personal reason. And I was watching and reading Eric, a bunch of like YouTube podcasts, marketing type things, uh, whether it's on YouTube or whether it was a story on the internet or a book, I'm kind of in that, that mode right now of like, hell, like look entered inwards to, to, you know, self-help and improve your, your product and, so that's what I'm really looking forward to, to getting into this one because I'm in that mindset right now. But uh, let's get to some of these actual, <laughs> well, probably 99% of the listeners truly care about discussion about Oregon football recruiting or basketball or recruiting. Let's dive into these first. Yeah. And I, I just want to start by saying, uh, yeah, the last question will be a little bit meta, as Matt says, talking about the show. But like, hey, like I feel like we've developed. Um, a rapport with our listenership where there's interest in those sort of things. And that's, I think, an exciting development for the show of like people actually care about, <laughs> about like kind of choices we make regarding the presentation of our, our podcast. And like, hey, for me, that's not a bad thing at all. So we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the show, like Matt said. Um, but we will start football and this will be a football podcast. We got a little basketball towards the end, but we'll start with one from at Snyder Jordan. Are any chance that we see Oregon? Sorry, we see quarterback sneaks on third or fourth and short this season. I think <clears throat> they would have a higher conversion rate if they did so instead of the pistol that takes longer to develop. What do you guys think? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Uh, Snyder, I think Matt and I are both like in agreement that we'd like to see quarterback sneaks. Um, I, I don't think unless there's been a change of heart for Matt since last season, this has been a conversation point for the last couple of years, certainly since Mario Cristobal took, took oh, over. Eric, this, is, this is the... Uh, oh. The horse that will never die <laughs> yeah. that has, has been on since the innovation and implementation of the spread offense at Oregon. Mm -hmm. Ever since they've gone shotgun uh, and Jerry Thompson, bless his heart, <laughs> old school football <laughs> guy. Uh, this guy hammers home this question probably twice a year, every year of why do you not do quarterback sneaks? Oh yeah, we so this has been discussed a lot. This has been discussed by us. We are certainly in the thought process of like, yeah, I think you get it fourth and short, or it's on the goal line, and you've got a big quarterback. Oregon has had Justin Herbert, and they've had Tyler Shuck, bigger physical quarterbacks. Just let them push the ball. You see it in the NFL all the time. Tom Brady, who by the way isn't even that physically imposing like the quarterbacks I mentioned, is like the the goat at it. He just times the snap, yeah. and it works almost every single time. And so. You do wonder why you haven't seen it here. Obviously, at Oregon, like the reality here is, and it isn't even pistol related. It's like what Matt said. It's shotgun spread related. Is, is that you know? I'm, I'm sure part of it is is that you would have to change formation with how you're lining up. You can't do a quarterback sneak sneak out of a shotgun. It'd be really obvious what was coming. 
yeah, it'd be very obvious what would be coming, you know, when you put a quarterback under center. So like, yeah, like Matt and I are, I think, and I think most listeners probably are, are at times during a season going like, boy, I wonder if they would have converted that one if they were in a different formation, if they would have taken a quarterback sneak. We're fine. I think we agree with that. I just don't know if Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead, <laughs> from everything we've said, or sorry, from everything we, they've said so far, if they are even close to considering a change. It, it really, it really feels like Mario Cristobal has been asked this time and time again, and the answer time and time again has been, yeah, no, we're not probably going to do much of that. So, um, I mean, Mario's like, been asked about it. Willie Taggart was asked about it. Sure, yeah. Mark Kelfrich was asked about it. Chip Kelly was asked about it. Uh, and and I, I think I'm not to throw this guy under the bus because he doesn't have an opportunity to defend himself, but it's always Jerry Thompson uh, that, that always asks that question of Ducks Illustrated. Um, and every year the answer is different, is the same. It's it's we're running with what we run. We're not going to uh, do it. And, and I think like – I would like to see it implemented, but at the same time, like I kind of understand why, because like when, when, when your team significantly snaps every rep in shotgun or in pistol, and then all of a sudden it's third and it's third and inches or third and one or fourth and one and fourth and inches. And all of a sudden you come up to the line of scrimmage and your quarterback's under center. Everyone would automatically know what's coming next for the most part. Not, not, not to mention the fact that you'd be playing one of the more important downs of a game in a, in a formation you're not familiar with. Exactly. Where, where the start of the play is different, usually out of a, you know, I mean, who knows, who's to say that they don't have an issue with a snap, even though it should be easier. The last thing I'll say on this one is like, I also wouldn't discount the fact that let's say Oregon's in a big game at the end of a season and there's a crucial goal line spot. Maybe they'll just bring it up then because the opposition certainly wouldn't be prepared to see Oregon in a formation like that, given their history. So like, I wouldn't, you know, we saw Oregon obviously with, with Justin Herbert and the Rose Bowl in 2020 run their quarterback suddenly after basically having an agreement that they were never going to run their quarterback for a couple of straight seasons. I wouldn't be like stunned if in a big spot at some point where there's nothing to lose, we see them mix or mix and match it a little bit. But I also don't expect that to be like part of the offense frequently. And maybe it's something we literally just don't see um, as, as long as Mario Cristobal is, is running the show at Oregon. All right, next one from... Real real quick, real quick. I think I would much rather see the implementation of a formation, a a set of plays that you do run under center. So it it eliminates what you just mentioned of, hey, it's a fourth down in a critical moment. We need three inches to get the first down and let's go under center, but we've never done that before. We don't really work on that. I would love to see at least just one, you know, one set of plays that you use in, in games at a regular time where you're under center. And that gives, then opens the door for a, you're comfortable snapping under center and B it does open the door for a little bit of, uh, you know, QB sneak or, you know, running back dive when it's fourth and inches instead of the pistol. But that's a very minor thing. No, that's a good point. And probably you'd have a third play that was like a play action pass out of that right. or something like that, where you just have some variance of, all, and I'm sure that would be the way they would approach it too, you knowing Joe Morehead, how creative he would get. They'd want to have three to four plays from a certain look. I, I, that's a good point in terms of formationally, it looks so different to see them under under center that, that you'd probably want to have some way of disguising exactly what you're doing, considering the fact that uh, a QB sneak, not that you can stop it when you know it's happening necessarily, but it certainly changes things. If you're like, Oh, I know exactly which hole this is going to go through. I know exactly where the ball's going. Um, next one from at big Roper 12. Do you think there is anyone in the freshman class who won't play much until their senior year? 
but then have a breakout year that gets them into the first round draft conversation? If so, who and why? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, quarterback? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a quarterback. Um, in this year's class, it's Ty Thompson. I just don't think he's going to have to wait till a senior year. I mean, well, I guess we could also count. I mean, because are we, are we, we're gonna are we gonna be a little creative here with the rules? Yeah, let's let's count the the 2020 guys that are true freshmen once again. So that would mean Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford okay. too at, at the quarterback spot. I mean, I I think you said that very thing with Robbie Ashford. Maybe it was me. Um, but I think we're, I know we're both in agreement that <laughs> I love think, that. I love that you're like I love that you don't know if it was my thing I said or something. <laughs> that you said. It just tells you how linked our thoughts are, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're both in agreement that we we see a scenario that really could play out that has Robbie Ashford redshirt in 2021, and then he sits for two years behind whoever is the starting quarterback, and and maybe he gets one year. Uh, as 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 the guy, but that one year is really really good. Uh, right. Very similar to what we saw at Mac Jones uh, in Alabama, where I'm not going to say he's he's going to be you know a, a Heisman you know guy or, or you know a first round draft pick, but Mac Jones sat behind Jalen Hurts. He sat behind Tua, and then he got the job, and in one year had a phenomenal year broke like passing records that Joe Burrows set the year before that. And then went off into the NFL as a first round draft pick. So like I, I could see a, a similar path where Robbie Ashford sits behind Anthony Brown for one year. And then maybe it's Jay Butterfield or Ty Thompson that wins the gig. And for three years, that guy is the starting quarterback and then goes pro and Robbie Ashford's here for one season as a redshirt senior and moves into the, and has a, has an all conference caliber year and gets picked as well. I think in terms of first round draft conversation, it would have to be a quarterback. Yeah. Um, you said, I think Mac Jones is a good example. I mean, how about uh, you mentioned his name already, but uh, Joe Burrow was a quarterback who basically had one year as a starter at LSU. I mean, one really dynamic season and ends up going into the draft as a number one draft pick. So like you've seen some trend of that, other than quarterbacks and like, I agree, Robbie Ashford would make the most sense because I think his development is the one that probably needs the most. And so I don't expect him to win the job immediately, but if he does hang around, maybe that is a conversation we're having in a couple of, couple of years. I just think it's hard for me to see anyone else in the roster that I would say, Hey, they're not going to be very integral to anything in 21 in 2022, maybe right. not in 2023, but Hey, by 2024, they're going to be so good. They're going to be first round players. Um, to be a first-round draft pick, you have to be just a dominant force. And so, like, it seems like a weird development path. Like, you need someone to really, really, really develop at a slow pace, but but get really, really good. So, like, off the top of my head, like, may, maybe a Jonathan Flo is somebody who takes some time to develop for whatever reason and has that ceiling. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think of anyone else defensively or on offense that really fits that because it just it's just kind of an unusual path to go from being someone that doesn't play very much to then being a first round pick. Usually, you know, when guys are going to have that kind of ceiling earlier on than their last couple of years or their last season in a school. So that would be my, my response to that. I do think Ashford probably makes the most sense in terms of someone to actually fit that just given the position he plays quarterback can be a position we've seen recently where you do develop quickly at the end of a career. And obviously if you're considered one of the top, four to six guys in a quarterback class in any draft, you're probably going to be first round, maybe second round pick. Um, so that would be the right kind of logic there. I just have a hard time thinking of anyone else on this entire roster that really fits that 
Because I think I, offensive line is where you have to go. Do you, well, but like even who there? Like do you, like Bram Walden, maybe does he is he just sit behind these guys forever? Uh, Jalen Jeffers, does he sit these behind these guys forever? Because we all think like Kingsley's going to play sooner than that. Jackson Powers Johnson's probably going to play sooner than that. What about Jonah Miller? Like, yeah, maybe Jonah or Bram Walden at tackle. One of those. Two yeah, guys. like they they get stuck behind Kingsley and have to watch Kingsley, you know, go crazy for three or four years, and then they get one year behind him. Um, or maybe like a. I mean, it, what about Jonathan Dennis? Like, yeah, and maybe at center behind Jackson Power Johnson for a while. Pulls or it yeah, or Jackson Power Johnson. Like, one of those two guys gets the job after Forsyth moves on and doesn't relinquish it for three or four years, and and that guy has to sit and wait for one year. I mean, I, I think it's quarterback and it's offensive line. Like, I think those are the two positions that make the most sense quarterback because the talent is there. You just have to wait your turn. And if you're willing to wait that long, which is very rare um, to see a quarterback wait that long for one year, especially if he's really good offensive line, it feels like a developmental reason. Like, Hey, you've got to just get up. You got to, you know, you've got to develop, you got to get your body right. You got to get yourself in a position to, to be there. And then you've got to also have the opportunity. And, and so Maybe it's that way where it looks at it as you know, these are guys that are going to have to wait for quite some time to, to get there. I guess just if using that kind of logic, maybe one last one would be an Isaiah Brevard, a wide receiver who's going to be the third most talented from his recruiting class in 2021. We've already seen Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton be just like studs, be really, really good. We think those guys are going to help right away. Maybe Brevard gets to Oregon and he has to wait his turn for a while. But by the time Franklin and Thornton kind of move on and some of these other the Chris Hudson's and, um, you know, some of these other guys that are a little older on the team move on, he ends up being a go-to guy his last season. I, I guess that the only way I can think of it is like a position group where there's so much ta- talent and depth that you don't see the field immediately. But when you get out there, you can make some plays and you have the talent to do that. So, like, I agree, offensive line quarterback. I'll throw Isaiah Brevard out there just as a – that's kind of another contingent, another name. I don't know. It, it, this is a tough one in general, but like, I, I guess if we're going down that line of thinking, I could see Brevard maybe being somebody who doesn't play a ton right away, but ends up developing at a, a high ceiling. He certainly has the athletic tools to be a, a an NFL caliber receiver. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Right. All right. Last bass or sorry, last football question from at at Maddie Ice twelve twelve. Do you guys have any information on what the Oregon NLI plan will look like. It seems like Southern states have gotten this going and will start to reap recruiting benefits from it. What say you? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag, by the way. I think um, almost everybody we were going to read a question from today did use the hashtag. That makes it easier for me to find the questions and put the show together. So better chance of you seeing or me seeing the question, us answering it if you do use the hashtag. Um, so they yeah. actually have a program. It's already in there place right now. I, I don't know if this kind of flew under the radar in the fall because it was, we were, everyone was so hyper-focused on the season. Uh, yeah. Is the season going to go on or is the season going to, going to be canceled? And right. they announced on October 16th, the emerge program, a comprehensive education program designed to provide student athletes with knowledge and tools that will assist them in optimizing opportunities related to upcoming name, image, and likeness 
otherwise known as NIL legislation. Um, from the release, the, the Emerge program will deliver direct educational programming and content through a collaboration that features business leaders and foremost branding experts from entities, including but not limited to Nike, Facebook, Twitter, and Flickr, Cole Hahn, and the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the U of O Lundquist College of Business and the U of O School of Journalism and Communications, many of whom come from the extensive network of the University of Oregon alumni. And basically what, Eric, what I took as that is they are going to, you know, student athletes at Oregon will be working with experts from Nike, Facebook, and Twitter. And those three entities are probably three of the most successful companies out there today in branding and marketing and getting yourself out there and getting your product seen by people. Um, incredibly valuable experience. And, and I'm not trying to you know, overlook the other ones that, that were mentioned, um, but I'm pretty sure Nike knows what they're doing when it comes to branding and to marketing. And I'm pretty sure Facebook and Twitter know what they're doing about expanding reach and maximizing the most uh, your ability of, of being seen by people. I don't think Oregon or the PAC 12 based upon what I've seen are going to fall behind the South in recruiting anymore. Cause I do think they're already behind because of NLI stuff. Um, maybe it's somewhat of the evening field to a certain degree too of, Hey, I can go. I mean, like think of it this way. Say you're a prospective star football player, the quarterback, and you can go to Alabama where you might be the third string quarterback and I'm going to guess the NLI money might not be quite as good in terms of the, you know, just in terms of the visibility of that, or you can go to Oregon or you can go to USC and you can be on the West coast and be the kind of primary guy. And I, I actually think from a certain perspective, the earning potential of somebody from school to school obviously goes up. And I would just imagine that if you're a top tier recruit and you can go kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say it's going to like, completely even the playing field but there's a pitch to be made of like hey come to Oregon be the vis most visible player at the school and make a bunch of money or go to the SEC maybe you have a little bit better like long-term NFL draft stock maybe you follow the Mac Jones path of you have to wait several years before your moment in the limelight and maybe you get there or you can go to a Pac-12 school or you can go to Oregon and you can be that you know right away so I don't think it's going to hurt the Pac-12 I will be interested to see I guess um, how some of these different programs differ and what they look like and, and how that might impact things. But I don't, I don't think the PAC 12 or Oregon in particular are going to fall behind because of that. Think about name image and likeness. If this was around, like this is why it's going to be so important um, for all athletes, but let's just, let's like localize it here for a second. Yeah. Um, Peyton Pritchard, let's say it was, a, it, this has been around for a while. Peyton Pritchard, his senior year, you know, going into that year, there was a lot of excitement around him and a lot of excitement around the Oregon basketball program. Um, and there was more interest than a normal off season. And he could, you know, when, when, when he and, and Oregon beat Seton Hall in the Bahamas, that was kind of like his first real big game because he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Miles Powell. Like that maybe leads to uh, a company up in West Lynn or a company here uh, in Eugene, you know, latching on to him and, and being able to have him work with that, that business. And then down in Michigan, when he goes nuts uh, a couple weeks later in that game, 
um, you know, that another company jumps on board. And then as the year keeps going and going, more and more companies are, are attaching themselves or brands are attaching themselves with Pritchard. And by the time he gets to the NCAA tournament, I mean, this could be a guy who, who in that time period, maybe he makes 50 grand, maybe he makes 60 grand in, in endorsement deals and, and other you know, avenues of revenue, um, all because of how he's playing in the year or go back to like softball, probably the most recognizable athlete on social media is, is Haley Cruz. Um, and I know you, when you spoke with her about the decision to come back for her yeah. fifth year, like that was, it wasn't an automatic decision. She wasn't a hundred percent certain of that. And if the NLI was in place, she could have maybe been much more at ease with coming back knowing I've got such a huge brand, you know, social media following. I could clear a hundred K while I'm going to school for my fifth year and really maximize my experience at Oregon while, you know, finishing out the senior year that I wanted to have while making some money doing it. Yeah. I think that part's also important in terms of it's not just recruiting these athletes. It's also when they get on campus and they solidify their roles as being a star player on whatever team it is. You mentioned Haley Cruz. I think Sedona Prince has like over a million TikTok followers. I'm not on TikTok. I'm old and I don't know anything about how that operate thing works, but she has like a million and a half or something. And I looked it up and Sabrina Ionescu, who's a star in the WNBA has like a quarter of that number. So like someone like Sedona is another name who would make a bunch of money, but like you recruit Sedona to Oregon. And one of the things that like, if this NLI thing is in place during her whole career, you get to see her get to Oregon, you get, you know, and she comes to Oregon, not specifically because of the NLI, but that would be a thing that might keep her at Oregon because of all of these relationships she builds. Like, I think it can actually almost be a sales pitch. Um, You think about players going early to the draft. I don't think anyone chooses to stay longer because of the NLI money, but for like a women's basketball player, maybe it does have a bit of a pull. If she can make some serious chunk of change playing at Oregon, where she would maybe not be making as much, not that much more in the WNBA. Maybe that helps them with players like that. I don't know, but there, there's going to be a lot of different kind of fallouts in terms of the decisions and, and all of that regarding this stuff. And it's honestly, it's really exciting to think about it. Like our jobs covering these teams are going to be changing a little bit because in the not too distant future, Matt, we're going to be reporting about like, you know, agreements that players have with certain brands. And um, that's going to be a really different change. It's going to be interesting. And like, hey, we're going to have at a certain time, Matt, we're going to be like literally doing end of year, like, hey, this player on the football team made X number of dollars. Or, or I mean, I'm assuming most of this is going to be somewhat public. And this player made this much money. And that is just going to be a really weird reality to be living in. But hey, um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dogging it. Cause I think it's very much deserved that these athletes are, are able to benefit from this, especially those not in football or men's basketball. I think women's sports in particular, this is a really big thing for, for solidifying their role um, in the athletics, you know, just around the university. Prince Prince had the opportunity if this was in play then to really go from like, cause everything for the most part from an athlete standpoint, from this name, image and likeness, is going to be regionalized. Like you're not going to see a ton exactly. of athletes go national with the brands that they, that they link, or at least I don't think so initially at least, but I think Prince could have had that window because okay. she played such a huge part in exposing the inequality in the men's and the women's NCAA tournaments and what the men got and what the women didn't. And she, she did a really good job of a, 
showing the indifference, you know, the differences between the two tournaments and, and the gap of equality between the women's and the men's team uh, tournaments. And then at the same time, having like a very serious conversation and at the same time being able to also provide like the fun, funny content that people like as well. And I really thought, I really think that if these legislations were in place, you would have seen some, some name brands that are trying to fight the inequality that, that women's athletics is going through right now and bring awareness to it, pair up with Sedona Prince and, you know, go with like a global brand of this is the person that exposed the inequality that's going on at the women's tournament. And we're going to let her tell her story and we're going to let her, you know, she's going to take you with her as she's trying to win a championship, but also bring equality to women's athletics. Like those, like that branding would have, would have happened. I, I have no doubt about it. No question about it. And um, I think there are going to be opportunities for Oregon athletes because of the, just the, I mean, you've seen it here recently. You just go look at professional sports right now. Sabrina Ionescu, Justin Herbert are two of the best athletes in their sport as young players. Those players, if the NLI was available, I think would have had national branding opportunities. You're going to see that with Oregon. And then you're going to see, like Matt said, some of the regional stuff. And it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how all of that works together. And just not only that, the impacts of the, of the sport. How, how does this impact locker rooms? Uh, who's open to talking about that sort of thing? Who's, is, is there going to be a guy who's disappointed that a teammate is making X number of dollars over somebody else? We've now gone down the rabbit hole from the original question um, quite a bit, but hey, clearly there's some interest in talking about this. And I think it is going to be something that is at the forefront and of college athletics for the f- foreseeable future. So to answer the original question, um, <laughs> I'll read a couple more things from the press release about the Emerge program, and then we can move on. Um, Go ahead. The release cited three core areas that the University of Oregon's Emerge program will be focused on. The first is personal branding strategies and acceleration, Uh, branding strategies and concepts, managing and maximizing your personal brand, social media, best practices, valuation and security, positive brand association, media relations and interviewing skills, voice and identity. That gives you kind of like the first pillar. The second pillar is foundations of business financial literacy. And that is general sports business principles, endorsements and sponsorships, contracts, licensing, intellectual property, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship. And then the third pillar is managing NLI opportunities, education on NLI legislation once enacted, agent and marketing advisor education, compliance, conference, and NCA rules, federal and state laws. So that gives you a brief intro into what um, the Emerge program is going to be. And just real quick, just to show you some of the potential that some of these athletes have, um, Micah Pittman and Maddie Schur, they are two athletes at Oregon, Pittman with the football team, uh, Maddie with the women's basketball team. They have a YouTube channel, and it's, it's a channel in which they – it, they document their lives as um, a couple, and they're also documenting their lives as uh, student athletes together at the University of Oregon. And they they produce one video a week, and we're talking like 38,000, 52,000, 95,000, 67,000, 81,000, 95,000, 86,000, 160,000 
196,000 views uh, that these videos are getting. And when student athletes will be able to profit off of name, image, and likeness, every single one of these videos that they create could be generating upwards of four, five, six thousand dollars each. That's crazy. That, that part's crazy to me. Just, just the amount of money that they could make off this. Um, yeah, and it's exciting for the athletes, and they're deserving of. They put the time in uh, as athletes, and and with regards to the content stuff, that doesn't just take. We know that from putting together videos. That doesn't just take place with the snap of fingers. They no, put their they're putting it. in the effort to edit these and and to upload them, and I mean well, they're consistent. And, they're doing it once a week. It's like a job, and. And, and they understand why they understand the ceiling for this is because they're getting out in front of this and developing a following so that then when they're both on campus still this next year, they can make some book. You know, like you said, they can make some real money off this. Like Haley Cruz has an Instagram, uh, a YouTube page and but she's only got three videos, but all of them are over 15,000 videos and they're all, you know, a, a year old, but um, it really feels like a lot of, these athletes uh, at Oregon, I mean, I, I think Oregon's athletes are um, probably further ahead than other ones at other schools, but more and more athletes are doing it. And this is something in which they're creating content on their own and they should be able to profit off of this. And currently that they're, they're, they're not um, Michael Pittman, Mike is, older brother he and his uh, significant other they have a channel as well and michael is in the nfl and he's actually done a couple his most recent thing he's done is a, is a golfing uh one on or golfing event with justin herbert from two weeks ago and that has almost four hundred thousand views yeah and so there there is con there is content to be consumed and there's money to be made by these people and these athletes and the, the legislation just needs to get caught up to allow them to do it because nothing, nothing is changing their amateur status by uploading a video of their life and being able to profit off it. If people are, if there's that many people that are interested in watching it. Let's move on. Yeah. I think that's a good discussion. Um, I mean, I have all sorts of other thoughts circling in my head, but we'll, we'll kind of jump here ahead because we don't want to spend the entire rest of the show on this one. Um, but like maybe obviously going forward, this will be a topic we'll discuss when all this, especially when this actually comes into place where athletes can make money. And that's not too far from now. Um, we will continue this one. Next question, Matt, this one got slid in here late. This was a, we were talking pre-show hoping to get another question. We got one from at Altman fever. This is basketball state Oregon lands, Jacob young and Quincy Garrier. What's the ceiling for men's for the men's team next year. Am I crazy thinking final four? Um, for those listening who are unfamiliar, um, Jacob Young is the younger brother of jo Joseph Young. I'm pretty sure we've mentioned his name on the podcast. He played uh, last year at Rutgers. There's a chance Oregon lands him. Quincy Garrier uh, played at Syracuse the last couple of seasons. Also a chance Oregon um, adds him. So the two of those players, Young being uh, you know kind of an off-ball scoring guard like his brother, Garrier being a six-seven, maybe a replacement for a Eugene Amarui. Um, Matt. Uh, let's just assume, as this as this question does, that they right, land right. both of them. 
is this final four good? Like, I mean, what, what, is the ceiling really that high to you or, or is that just a slight bit, a little uh, optimistic to you? Let's look at what they've added to the roster um, this off season and, right. and understand that they're bringing back Will Richardson. They're bringing back Eric Williams, two double digit scorers from this past year. A third starter in Infale Dante is back. He'll be healthy at the very beginning of the year. Probably will be coming off the bench because of his, his uh, ACL injury. But nonetheless, he'll be playing. Frank Kepnog will be also on the team. Uh, Luke Wehr will also be on the team. Um, and then they're adding five-star power forward Nathan Biddle. They are um, adding uh, Rivaldo Sorez who is a junior college All-American. So that right there is you're, you're adding a, a Juco All-American prospect to the team. You're, you've signed Devion Harmon, um, a player who was an all-conference guy in the Big 12 and a former, I think, top 50 recruit to help play the guard spot. Now you add Jacob Young, who was an all-conference, I think, honorable mention player in the Big Ten this past season for Rutgers. And you're adding an all-conference ACC player in Quincy Guerrier, uh, or Greer. I can't pronounce his last name. Um, it's like French and Canadian. He is, he is French Canadian, Matt. So, um, Guerrier. 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 Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you're adding an all conference ACC player, an all conference Big Ten player, an all conference Big 12 player, and a junior college All American, plus a five star recruit into this mix. I don't, and you've got, you know, two starters from last year's Sweet 16 team back. I have a hard time thinking like expectation shouldn't be final four because of the newness factor, but they're more than capable of, of fielding a team that wins the conference and could really contend for a one through three seed and make it to the NCAA's final four. I, I think that's very realistic. I mean, I'm not going to say it's, going to happen but it feels very realistic with the roster that they would have intact i'll say a couple things on this I, I think it's harder now than ever especially in may with how much volatility there is in terms of roster turnover to really predict how any of these teams are going to be in november right because it's not just the fact that the rosters might be different we don't actually know how these guys are going to like gel together um and that's what makes it difficult because almost every roster nationally now in men's basketball, women's basketball, we're not talking about women's basketball, but just in both, it, it looks significantly different. So you're kind of having to go, well, like you just established, you ran through all the all-conference marks from those players. How, did, is, are those good fits together, though? Like, I mean, this yeah. is, individually, they've been good at other schools. I think, obviously, the staff thinks it works out great, and I'm going to trust Dana Altman, but there has to be a certain level of, like, yeah, they've accomplished this at X school X and X you know, school Y, but who's to say that this is going to work out, you know, perfectly at this new place together and that's the same conversation you just you have to have not just about Oregon but about other schools in the country around the country who would in theory be competing for final fours too so like I'm not trying to totally skirt the question I agree with Matt in terms of like I think there's a I almost said a bad word 
<laughs> a crap load of good players. I'm, I'm getting too, too relaxed here if I almost said that one. Um, a crap load of good players on this team. And I think they have a ton of talent. And I think they probably, you know, will, will be a team that will compete for a conference championship and certainly be in the discussion. But it's also really hard to know exactly what the contenders look like from school to school right now because there's still players that could pull out of the NBA draft. Um, for those decisions. And there's still other players that may or may not transfer from schools or may transfer into other schools. Um, there's a lot of players still in the portal who haven't decided where they're going. And again, then there's the element of when all the rosters are kind of like set in stone, does it all work? Does it all make sense? Does it all fit together? So um, it, it, this is going to, I mean, I love it because we're sitting here in, 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 in mid-May going like, we don't even know exactly what the rosters for most of the teams are going to look like. It just adds another element of intrigue throughout the off season. I'm sure the coaches hate this <laughs> like poor Dane Altman, you know, and, and staff never really gets an opportunity to take a full on break because they're constantly having to recruit. Yeah. Even when they feel like they've set the roster up, you just don't know exactly how it's going to go. Players kind of are unpredictable in that regard, but it's fun. And I will say that I, I'm going to be really excited to watch both the men's and women's this year, maybe even more than in past years, just because, I think we're going to, it's going to take a little longer to, to really see who the top teams are going to be because in previous years, you, and, and I'm not saying that this, this isn't the case every year, but like there's going to be a lot more different. The teams look a lot different in 21 than they've had in the past just because of the ability for players to, to change schools so easily. There's a saying in college basketball now, and I think Dana Altman has shown the ability to, to execute this. And it's, Get old, stay old. And what that means yep. is if you're going to be successful in college basketball and you're going to win games and you're going to consistently be good, more often not than not, you can't do it with a bunch of one and dones with a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. You need to do it with older players. And that doesn't mean those older players have to be guys that have been four, five, three years in your system. It just means you need college experience. Dana Altman talked about this a ton during this past season when they went to the Sweet 16. He said, we have a ton of experience. We just don't have a ton of experience playing together. But a lot of our guys have gone through the rigors of college basketball before and know the pressures, know how to handle this scenario, know how to handle that scenario. And now it's just getting these guys to learn how to do it as this collective unit and not, you know, from wherever they, they came from previously to being at Oregon. And so I look at, I look at college basketball as you need to get old and you need to stay old. And that's what Oregon, if, if this scenario plays out where they get Jacob young and they get Quincy Guerrier, uh, that's what this team will be. It, their starting lineup would more often than not be Will Richardson, who's a, who's going to be a senior it's going to be Eric Williams, who is going to be a senior. It's going to be Davion Harmon, who's going to be a junior. It'll probably include either uh, Jacob Young, who's a senior, or Quincy Guillier. I mean, uh, Guillier might might start, and Eric Williams might not come on the bench, or or yeah, right. <clears throat> someone's not going to be able to start. And then you're going to have uh, Frank Kepnog, who who's a sophomore. So you're essentially going to have four guys in your starting lineup more than likely that are juniors or seniors at this level. And when you finish games, it wouldn't surprise me if that number goes to five, 
where the only guys that are on the floor for Oregon are four and fifth year guys in college basketball and are used to these late game situations. And now it's just going to become how quickly can you get this group to gel to learn how to play together? And it's a lot easier to do that with older guys than it is with younger guys. And so I look at this team and think, yeah, like I'm not going to sit here and say the expectation is a final four. Now, if they had all this talent and they were on the team the previous year and yeah. everyone was coming back, then I would come forward and say they've, they've learned how to play together already. They've know, you know, how to handle this situation and Oregon system before the expectation is final four, much like the 16, 17 team did when they brought like literally every guy back uh, except for Elgin cook and Dwayne Benjamin from an elite eight team. That was, you know, a couple defensive stops against buddy healed away from making the final four. So I, I think it's reasonable to expect even without these two guys joining the team, I think it's reasonable to expect Sweet 16. You add these two guys to the table, now you're getting into the discussion where there's a real strong chance they make the Final Four. All right, last one here from At Duck for Quacks. Why doesn't the Ots and Audibles podcast have intro music? And where should we send our fan-made submissions? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Matt, we've made it. Fans are going to make our intro music for us. <laughs> which saves me because i am not musically inclined even though i've got family that is very much musically inclined uh, maybe i should look to them for, for an intro music but matt uh why don't we have intro music you know it's a good question um <laughs> the contractor i used just to remodel my house he found a show while he was remodeling and that was like the first thing he said uh love the content but you need an intro song Hey. So I guess if Sean Parsons is out there listening still, uh, he he is correct. People are asking for intro. I don't know. This is where I struggle. Should it be like the rock intro? Like <laughs> rock, rock and roll? Yep, yep, yep. I understand you. Or should it be like the hip hop kind of, you know, you know, maybe like the electronic look of of an intro? That's like my biggest struggle right there. I don't know if it should be rock or if it should be hip hop kind of, you know, beats type of intro. I will. I, I would probably prefer kind of a little bit more, uh, a little bit more new age sound, but I'm also not closed off to if somebody has a really rad rock song or track that sounds cool to put that up front. I think we are open to adding intro music for sure. Um, it's been a long time, but and this is a little bit of a tangent. But when I first started doing a, my first podcast ever was the Educk podcast. And those maybe listening, maybe familiar, Educk was the precursor to, to Duck Territory with the Scout Network before there was a merger. Um, we had intro music on that podcast that I got from a buddy of mine who was like creating beats for local rap artists um, in the Eugene area about a decade ago. And we used that for a while. And I always thought it was cool to start a show with, with an intro. So I, I'm totally open to that to finding an intro song. Do we want to give an email out for people if they have fan-made submissions or it's is this submitted to your email, not mine? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, I don't know if I want all these emails of weird sounds being sent to me, but, uh, <laughs> but I guess I am kind of in charge of the mailbag. So um, if you, if but you want to also, but there's also this other direction we could go. Uh, what, let's listen to that. Maybe like do, that better. Do we just select like past quotes of us talking on the show, like show highlights? Oh, I mean, we've got some great ones. So, uh, I mean, I guess my ego is like, yeah, let's just more of me talking probably is the best way to get people listening. 
<laughs> but uh, no, I don't. I don't hate that idea either. But let me make sure I get to pick my own clips because I don't know if I trust you to pick. Oh, I don't one. know about that. Yeah, I'm gonna sound like a doofus. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start listening. Like, oh, it's Matt and the doofus again. Uh, <laughs> that could be the new podcast name. Um, I, I I do think if people have actual music that they can suggest to us, that's fine. I also we have to recognize that like we don't have the rights to it, so unless yeah, it's like copyright rights to it, yeah, it has to be. It, it would actually, as the question suggests, have to be fan made because we we can't use like a Metallica track or something like that because we would get in trouble because we don't have the money to pay for such things um, for the show. But like, yeah, I'm, I, I, if people want to send submissions, maybe just t- tweet a couple thoughts at us, and if you want to dm me on twitter send me a dm on twitter i'll see if i get to it um that makes it sound like i'm not going to so <laughs> scratch that part i will get to it still um, dm him eric will get to it he just i will i will get do it to more it. excitedly yeah i'll be more excited when i'm uh, off there but uh yeah no I, I i think we do need something i think we could mix it up a little bit with our intro for sure like we don't have an intro besides matt's warm beautiful voice welcoming everyone to the show maybe we That's should nice add a little bit something else. yeah so uh yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm open to it. We'll, we'll, Matt and I will keep looking at this. And and thanks for the question from uh, at Duck for Quacks, who's kind of the uh, he's always asking kind of the different questions. He was the one who recently asked us if we would wear husky gear on the podcast. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate him just throwing some weird. That'll questions. never happen. I know it won't. Um, but I appreciate him for throwing weird questions our way uh, as it creates a little different element to, to end shows. So, and we can get out of here with a little levity as opposed to sometimes the dense nature of our sports takes, which I know are enjoyable, but maybe sometimes people like hearing a little bit more lighter stuff from us. 100%. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting the questions. Thank you for making us consider uh, bringing on an intro to the song. We will look into that as well. And Until next time, you've been listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks.